Welcome to A Day in the Why, a podcast where I talk with fascinating folks about the jobs they've held, the things they've learned, and how well those line up with their values and goals. You may just learn something, but I hope you'll at least laugh along with us as we dive into the mistakes we've made, the lessons we've learned, and the secrets behind how we got where we are today and where we're going tomorrow. Welcome to A Day in the Why, episode number six, where we explore what our guests do for a living, their road to that role, and how it aligns with their values and goals. Welcome to the show, Dan. I'm excited we could be here together today. Thanks, Rich. Glad to be here. Now, I've followed your career since we worked together at uh, Digital Media One, a web uh, development video production company back in the early 2010s. Those were the days. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a while. It's been a little while. (laughs) Uh, I appreciate you making time to share some insights with me and our listeners uh, about what you're doing right now and how you got there. To start off, what the heck are you doing these days? Um, actually, I'm doing a lot of the same that I was doing Digital Media One. Digital Media One for me was kind of a, uh, a groundbreaking time because I was moving from traditional 3D animation and uh, kind of motion graphics more into video, thanks to Mark Larson, our president at the time, CEO. I kind of fell in love with his industry and uh, wasn't locked to the computer nearly as much. I was able to get out and and uh, shooting gave me that opportunity to get away from the desk, except for the editing, which I've come to realize I don't really love as much as I used to, because <laughs> <laughs> so it's back to the desk. Um, but So I'm doing a lot of the same. The, the difference now is I've moved into more uh, documentary work, still do a lot of the same corporate work that we used to do. That's, that's really our bread and butter is the corporate work. The documentary work is, uh, tends to be a lot of uh, spec for customers to help them get their documentary started or to do our own documentary. We've got two in the works right now. But primarily shooting for me uh, in Knoxville, and we travel all over, but for Knoxville's market, we're doing a lot of the fashion shows now. So that's a new one that we've picked up. Um, within the last couple of years, we started doing Avita's fashion shows, Aaron White fashion shows. And really that was a challenge to me because it's one of those genres of filming that I'd never done. And I love stressing myself on a new genre. So if I've never shot golf, I'm going to go out and try to find some golf to shoot. So I did my first one thinking I just want to do one just to see if I can, what it's like, what are the challenges, and ended up really liking it. That's the fashion shoot? Yeah, the yeah. fashion shoots. Really ended up loving it. I, I ended, Incidentally, I did the golf as well. Uh, <laughs> didn't love that one as well, but I can do it. Um, I think you have to love the game to love filming golf, and I am such a horrible golfer, I don't think I'm going to be good for that one. Whereas your your game, as far as strutting on stage, that you got that down. Oh, yeah, I can totally strut. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I know nothing about fashion uh, when it comes right down to it. If anyone has ever seen the way I dress, my fashion is jeans and a t-shirt pretty well lived in, and that's the extent of it. Well, that, that's my daily go-to as well, so right? you got to respect that. Right. <laughs> uh, you would probably be a little challenged at the fashion shows too, but it's good. It's a good challenge. Um, so, But for the last so many years, I've really just tried to challenge myself in shooting as many different varieties of content um, that I could, basically throw myself into different situations. And I've found that it's actually been really enjoyable because it takes you out of the monotony of I'm only a music video, you know, uh, film person. Right. Or I'm only a documentary film person. You're going you're gonna to miss a lot of other genres that you might have strengths in or that might actually teach you something. How much of what you already knew from, let's call them your previous genres, carried over 
well and effectively to say fashion. It, it all does. And that's the important thing about choosing more genres is those, those, those previous areas of expertise that you got really comfortable with in filming, they do carry over. There's always something out of that that you're going to benefit, but you have to take the approach different. Maybe you can't get as close to the talent. Maybe you've got to be a fly on the wall or whatever it is. And that's always a, a very different kind of approach. But when you've done it once, then the next scenario becomes a little easier. So all the past filming that we've done has really benefited me in, in doing more. So we're also at Knoxville's Brewfest and Brewer Jam official sponsor film crew. We've been the official sponsor film crew for Asian Festival. We always shoot Greek Festival every chance we get. We donate that footage to them. In fact, those events that I just mentioned, they're all charitable events. We don't make a dime from it. We bring an entire crew out. We film it. A lot of times we'll edit and deliver. Sometimes we just give them the footage. Right. But um, it's one of those given back to the community. It's good brand recognition. And it's a charitable event, so it is still a write-off. So, I mean, we I feel like it's just really a benefit. And if there's a, a festival happening and you're a shooter and you're not out trying to promote that festival uh, to promote your own brand, you're really missing an opportunity. I know. I've, I talked to the... Parking day, people. They had a uh, speaker that talked at the last Pachaka Job, and that is coming up in September. And I think it's going to be the fourth annual parking day for Knoxville. Okay. Last year was virtual. Uh, yeah, <laughs> everything was virtual last year. Last year didn't happen. No, this year they're going to be doing the same thing, blocking off Gay Street. People can sort of claim a parking spot, bring furniture, bring decorations, set up a stand, whatever they want to do uh, all day long to bring awareness to the fact that the space that a typical car occupies downtown is kind of a wasted space. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not the most efficient use of space, right? To have tons and tons and tons of parking. Right. Uh, you need some, but not perhaps as much as we have. And uh, so that's just one of the things that I'm getting into this year. Interesting. And completely forgetting that you had a relationship with, with Fanatic. Uh, I, I told you I had reached out to them and through a chance encounter at a, at a grocery store with one of their uh, tap takeovers. Yeah. So I ended up talking to Marty and went down to the, the brewery and talked to him for a while. And I'm going to try to capture with the uh, drone, so aerial footage inside the brewery, of every step of their process. That is awesome. Yeah. Uh, so just try to get some unique angles on everything they're doing and put that together as a, a free, you know, I'm not making a dime from him, but it's going to be a really great experience for me uh, putting you, it together. Would you have any objection to us using that footage? Because I do all of Marty's marketing. Uh, not all, I should say. I do a lot of Marty's marketing and when he needs specialty stuff, video or headshots or just marketing content for events, I go out there and help him. And we do a lot of trade and stuff. So No, I'd be, um, I'd be thrilled. That'd be great. And we did a, a walk around through his brewing process and actually filmed a two camera film setup. And really, we're going to put it on the uh, monitors inside and we're just kind of waiting to see the direction that goes. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, that'd be great. I, I've... Uh, Basically said, I'm just going to call them every Monday and find out exactly what they're doing during the week because they sort of lay out their schedules yeah. for the week on Monday. So, yeah, he's going to let me know, for example, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we're brewing. Uh, right. So, essentially, all the micro steps that are involved in brewing, there's a chance to capture those. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. he's got a good space to fly and run in there, actually. It's very, it does. very yeah. feasible. And uh, as a shameless plug for Marty, great guy, amazing beer. You really can't go wrong. I love that place. I love the people. And I've worked with Marty for years, and it's just as a friend, he's just been a great guy. Another plug, I've got some of the IPA in the fridge. That was going to be one of your choices. Oh, <laughs> I think I know that beer pretty well by now. <laughs> so what, you've kind of been doing you know, similar things, like you said, for, for quite a while. What, what is the favorite aspect of this phase of your career? Oh, wow. I think the, believe it or not, the most 
favorite aspect of it is the, of course, the diversity is already mentioned, but really, oh man, that it's that it's mostly at my schedule. I mean, that sounds crazy because you're really at everybody else's beck and call. You're you're called on constantly. Can you make it here? Can you be there? Um, you got to shoot when things are happening. You, you got to shoot when things are happening. But I kind of I, I don't want to be twenty four seven on the go. I don't mind doing that. But what I love about my industry is I can be really kind of quiet for about a month and things are just chill and I have time to take care of business, take care of the family, take care of the dog, whatever it is, my own life. And then a big shoot will come up and I can just go balls to the wall with it. I like that aspect. In fact, it's given me a little bit more level. It's 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 less chaotic than working somewhere 24-7, you know, for somebody else. I think being my own boss, doing my own thing has really worked well for me because I'm not a workaholic. I love diving in deep into what I'm doing when I'm doing it, but I also like to be to step away from it. I love the industry. I don't want to hate the industry. So you, you really, you, you like the spiky aspect, right? So you got the, the, the peaks aspect. and the troughs, but you got to have those troughs. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that suits me really well. Now, it didn't always. There was a time when it was... A bit of a struggle when you're first starting off and you're trying to build a gear list and all that, but we've built such a huge gear list now. Uh, we have so many great cameras, so many great resources of people that work with us. Um, you know, Patent Production is not uh, a company of 50 people. It's a company of one that has access to 50 people. Right. It's the best type of business to ever have. So, yeah, because um, you don't have to tie somebody up uh, full-time and then yeah. struggle to keep them engaged. Yeah. Uh, but it's also a benefit to customers when they come to us and say, hey, we need video. I'm not going to just immediately throw out $70,000 like most companies locally would. Um, they need to. They have to. They're trying to feed a huge beast. We don't have that beast. You can take a step back, figure out exactly how you can meet their need in the most effective way possible. Yeah. yeah. Financially possible. Yeah. And we bring more gear than most other companies would because we can grow to you know, 15, 20 people if we need to. We've got the gear for it. We're not having to rent any. That's a huge benefit for us. So but it's taken years to get there. Shameless request. We yeah. want to see more gear spread shots on, on your social media. Okay, so when you've got a big job that you've prepped for, you're heading out, you're laying out and doing a, your big gear check, get more shots of that stuff, right? We, we don't do much of that. Uh, that's funny because a lot of people do that because, you know, they, they when they're starting off and we've, we've got some of those early shots where we've got like four or five lenses out and a couple camera bodies. And what, yeah, last time we did that, it took us all day to set all the gear out and to lay it all out. I'll, I'll give you the photo. You can post it on your photo. Oh, yeah, I'll put it up in the show notes, yeah. It's, yeah, that was basically our five core group of people that we tend to count on for everything is our five core guys that I can call on for anything and go out with. Um, so there's a lot more work of, behind that kind of shot yeah. than you'd think. Yeah, there's there's quite a lot more to okay. it. I mean, people look at it like, oh my God, it's a ton of gear. It is. It's not all mine. A good chunk is, but also a good chunk is there. So, I mean, we're sitting on like probably 25 cameras and uh, ungodly amount of lenses, lighting, you name it. Yeah. Yeah. If I had to do that every time, <laughs> it took a whole day to get everybody coordinated to bring everything out. Well, yeah, I didn't say every shot or every job, you know, just maybe maybe one a year. Oh, I do those. Yeah, knock, I do knock out one a year. Yeah. Yeah. Go. go hit the Instagram, dig back probably the last four weeks because right now, uh, with COVID, we just kind of pick and choose the jobs we want. We, yeah. We uh, are spending more time just traveling and doing the things we want to do right now. We're still filming. It's great. But yeah, you'd have to go back to see all the really heavy camera shots. Uh, people get tired of seeing my camera. So, I mean, I, it's one of those things, you know, how many times can I shoot my camera and stick it out there without boring the hell out of people? I mean, unless you're a production. So we talked about your favorite part. What, what's the part you'd like to uh, to remove if you could cut it out? 
What would you not? Well, what part do? could I get rid of and be happy getting rid of? Yeah. Oh, summer. Sorry, it has summer. nothing to do with the industry. It has to do with the. the time so just of just year. the sheer heat, the the mugginess. Yeah. yeah. August yeah. is when we typically get a lot of calls for come film. Right. And like Directv will say, "Hey, come out and film um, in um, what is it, in Houston in August." Have you ever been to Houston in August? Yeah, we're not indoors filming. We're outside running around. It's a lot of running gun shooting. High production value with very little time in between. They're pretty chaotic schedules. I could do without summer. Fair and enough. August. You know, give me spring, give me fall. <clears throat> I'll shoot anything you want. I'll love it. Is it just a comfort issue or do you have yeah, uh, technical just, issues as well because of the heat? A little bit, but no, it's a comfort. Okay. Yeah, quite honestly, the gear is, I think, pretty well capable of handling just about anything. The heat hasn't really taken down any of our cameras. They're made for being thrown through a plate glass window and brush it off, put a lens on it, and it'll keep going. But lifting the gear, moving the gear, hefting the gear. That's miserable. That's, you know, That's just miserable. Yeah. 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 The only bad thing about growing to the size we have as far as equipment list is I show up in a large van full of gear and I need people to unload. I need people to hook it up. I need people that, you know, know the equipment. And the process. Yeah. And the process. And the the, the tricky part is once we're done for the day, you know, we've got about an hour breakdown to put everything away. Right. I can't just say, hey, grab all that and throw it back in the case. Everything has to be in an exact spot. You've got to know that equipment. I have four guys that maybe two really that know every inch of every case of where things go. Otherwise, you're having to micromanage. Yeah. And yeah. try doing that in August. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I am totally micromanaging at that point. A lot of times I'm just like, I just, I'll take care of it. I'll put everything up. Yeah. But in August, that's a whole new pressure cooker <laughs> to the game. I'll see this what I can the do. South. I'll see what I can do by having August removed. Can you fix it, please? Yeah. Just <laughs> out. I'm done with August. So we get an idea what you're doing now, your your vast network of uh, filming literati. Let's talk about how you got there. What were the you know the elements in your in your career that that got you or that allowed you to be here that trained you to, to be able to do this work? Oh man, again falls back to probably Mark Larson. His uh, his passion for it. He and his at the time wife were doing video production and. I just kind of, I'm a, always been a bit of a technical nerd, so the cameras were just hardware. It was a love for that. But I've also gone into it, sold out of it, gone into it again, gotten bigger, sold out of everything, and started over multiple times. So I'm on my third iteration of pretty much starting from scratch. And the last time, I didn't know I was going to be able to do it. So well, you, you and, a, and another gentleman I have to have on the show at one point, Danny Wilson, he's a, uh, an amazing illustrator here in yeah. Knoxville. At one point in time, both of you have reached out to me and said, hey, do you know of any, anybody that's got work? Yeah. Right? Because it just gets dead. Because it just gets so dry. As a, as a freelancer, as a, as a single person. But I, those are always the times, too, where I didn't have gear. So I would sell out of everything, close down a business or shut down a relationship with equipment. And then, you know, you're back on your own. You're back trying to decide how you're going to do it and how much gear you need and you realize you have to have equipment so i started the third time with a canon dslr camera when dslrs became the thing that everyone was shooting with for video when it became a video camera and built from there but never thought it would go the way it has never thought i would get as much equipment and blow up as much i put everything back into gear i want i want to push back a little bit because when i I first met you you were already somewhat of a a pro now at least in in my eyes so i'm going to push you back in in time even further what what were maybe some of your early uh maybe the summer job or early mentors early influences that got you here yeah i had tons of influences some of them were 
really just young, creative, super amazing. I mean, I t still to this day uh, look at other people's content and see the value in what they do and will listen to those people and try to get information from them. But by the same token, I try to do that for others. Like if I see somebody new coming out of school, they can't get a job, they can't get in anywhere, I'll mentor them. I'll let them play with some of the equipment, let them see the differences and try to convince them not to buy the crap that somebody told them they needed. Someone will tell them this is the camera you need to do production work and maybe it's a great camera, does a great job, but nobody's asking for it. And that's a big thing in this industry, finding the gear that people are asking for. As far as influencers, man, they're all over the place. I have so many people that I'm constantly looking at for what they are doing and how they're doing it well. And I immediately will reach out to them and say, I want to work. It might be on as a partnership. It might be as an apprenticeship, but one way or another, I want to work with you. And that's really helped me. Um, so is that what you did very, very early on as well? Constantly. Okay. Yeah. Always. I'm <clears throat> always looking at what other people are doing that's really good, really creative. Admittedly, I'm not doing that as much now. Now I'm more the mentoring side right. for other people, but I did that for a long time. And I always recommend to the people I mentor, continue. Don't just stop with me. Don't just listen to my advice. You know, Don't just look at what I'm doing. Look at what other people are doing. And if you really see something special there, try to spend time with them. See if they'll let you hang out with them. See if they'll let you shoot with them. See if they'll just grab a beer. Yeah. You know, it's a huge learning spike right there you can get from them. Some of the best I got was from, remember Josiah? He worked with us for a yeah. very brief time. Super talented, really young guy. Just, I felt really produced some nice stuff. I loved his eye. He had a great eye. He was finishing. a director on some of the Cornwell stuff, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and he has his kind of crew. He has people that he looks up to and he get, he's getting information from them. And at the time, I was getting information from Josiah. And he was way younger than me at the time, probably you know, 10, 15, 20 years younger than me, but and just I know, really intelligent. I know when it comes to media, you, you had a couple of contacts that I was aware of. Um, I, I forget whether Carl did audio or was it just 3D? No, Carl was primarily 3D and motion graphics. He's a After Effects guru. Okay. He is the genius of After Effects and a pretty brutal 3D studio master. <laughs> I count on Carl a lot. If I've got something that's super technical, very complex to put together, a process, I drag him into it every time. Yeah, I think you had done that for the uh, client we worked on, back, the home plan store. Yeah, and absolutely. You had set up all the 3D. I forgot about that. <clears throat> but you brought him in at one point. He had just come to visit. Yeah. He said, hey, Carl, come over and check all this stuff out. And he just kind of looked over, looked at all the settings, looked at the animation loops. And what it was. I was like, you know, gave you the thumbs up. And you're like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> I've dragged him out on set before when we're filming, doing like cooking shows and stuff. And I'm like, here. I was like, I, I want you to be here. Uh, all you got to do is just watch the monitor. What are we missing? If we miss anything, you're going to catch it. I know he will. He's got a brutal eye. It's absolutely, like, ridiculously brutal eye. And he'll he'll call it right away. He he doesn't, like, split hairs. It's like, oh, he'll stop the entire thing, walk over and fix something and go back. And it's always very appreciated. So, yeah, he's genius on this stuff for us. Uh, so I want to switch gears a little bit now. Yeah. Talk about values and, and goals. I know in real life we don't think about our values and goals a lot. Right? It's just kind of implicit in what we do. and But it's helpful to do that once in a while, especially if you see that yours might have changed, uh, whether dramatically or more of a, a drift over mm -hmm. time. Could you sum up the values that you hold most dear? And you can be as specific or general as you'd like. Oh, man. That's kind of a tough one. I have a lot of values that I hold to. Well, especially in this industry, for the biggest one, I think, is have humility. Um, the value I have in the people I work with is most everyone I work with has humility. If you walk onto any production set, you're going to find some bristling most of the time. We don't operate that way. 
you can be from another production company while we're filming, as long as we're not in the middle of actually filming. But if you walk on the set and start talking to us, we're going to talk, we're going to enjoy our conversation with you. We're going to benefit from that. And there's going to be some value in knowing another person that is into our industry. We went as far as to create Facebook groups to tear down the walls, uh, very high walls of production, because a lot of these production companies locally are, you know, we don't talk to those other people. It's another competitor. I've never looked at a production company as a competitor. I've looked at ones I like and ones I maybe don't like as much, but I don't see them as competitors. They just have their own field, uh, their own area of expertise and their own capability list. And so, but the humility is big. If you work with us and you've got a bad attitude or you're very keep everything super close and you don't want to share any information, you're probably not going to fit with us. So. Yeah, you run a, a Facebook group locally. Yeah. And uh, anytime someone moves to the area and finds out about the film community, you're right there, you know, hey, put put your information here. It's a free space. It's a safe space. Yeah. You know, talk at will. Yeah. And we uh, actually take that a step further. When somebody I find out moves to Knoxville and they have any area of production that overlaps with us, I immediately am invite them to go grab a beer, hang out, get to know them, find out what it is they're needing out of this area, try to hook them up with the right people, right. caution them about certain people based off of their skill sets and whatever, um, and try to direct and help them. And then also invite them into the group and give them an outlet and a resource, basically. Uh, that's something that this area was really lacking. And I'm glad to see it's kind of, it works. And we're not super productive on the group. You know, you've been in there. Someone will post a, hey, I've got this for sale. We get a few responses. Or, hey, I need somebody to help with that. You'll get some responses. Or someone will like, post a highlight reel, like a, a new reel, a new sizzle or something like that. Yeah. They just want some feedback. Yeah. But the fact that they feel free to do that. Yeah. Think and, and know that it's not going to be impinged. Judged. It's not going to be judged. That's important. I mean, a lot of creative communities, not just video production, but a lot of creative communities don't have that safe space. Right. And I feel like if it doesn't matter whether you're shooting on an iPhone, a DSLR, or a RED. It really doesn't matter. As long as you're shooting some form of video and you're trying to produce something, there's something to be gained from that group. There's always somebody there that can give you some advice because maybe the next day you're going to want to move up to another camera and maybe somebody's got one for sale. Or maybe they bought that one and they're going to say, be careful with that. For what you're trying to do, that maybe not the best one. Look at this. Right. I wish I had. I never had that. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted that. A place that you could go and really learn. And I know there are forums and groups out there that you can do. But as far as a local source, so that you can actually meet these people and get to know. Yeah, them I mean, you can them. actually. Yeah, hey, let's go. Let's go grab a beer, and yeah. I, I want to see the lens. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Can you, can you bring the toy? Exactly. <laughs> um, I think this area really so I, I value that that ability for people in this industry to not be closed minded, to not be keep everything too close to the chest. Share it a little bit. Yeah. Open up. Feel feel that you can. Uh it's it's a messed up industry in that it's a very oh man, I wanna say it's a very snobbish industry. Production people, especially like you go out to LA, can be very clicky. I'm sure we're all still clicky to most, but there are degrees. Yeah, there right. are degrees. Right. We try not. So humility. Humility is a biggie. Yeah. I, that's really the only. Or does it, that that seems like it could be a fairly all encompassing. It, it is value yeah. because I try to keep that with customers. I try to keep that with. I mean, I, I don't want to go in there as the be all end all. We know exactly what you need. We're going to do this for you and not listen to them. Listen to the customer. Find out what they're really needing. Don't oversell. Don't need jerk a, a price or a product. Try to listen to the big one. As far as goals, you mentioned goals. Mm -hmm. I don't know. My goal changed. I used to think I wanted to do a big set 
like a big movie motion picture set. The bigger sets I get on, the more and more I work on bigger sets, the more I appreciate a really small set. <laughs> I mean, so it's really, not good in theory. Yeah, it, it really does. It sounds very glamorous, but the bigger it is, it's like a business. All right, what's it like when people say, hey, I want to go work for Discovery? Discovery sounds like a great deal, and I'm no bash to Discovery. We're going to try to give them one of our documentaries so <laughs> with money. <laughs> but with Discovery, everybody says, oh, I want to get in this company. It's the biggest company. It's the greatest thing. Whatever you get in, you realize you really are just a cog, and you don't really get to experience all aspects of that business. You become part mentalized because it's so large. Well, they bring you on because you're very good at a very small piece of the process. And that's the piece you focus on. Compartmentalized yet again. So I've never been one of those guys that will be really comfortable being compartmentalized and only being allowed or able to do one thing on a production set. I like the smaller sets. I like the fact that sometimes our hair and makeup person is done with their job and they're moving around working as a PA. They're moving around and helping the assistant direct. Whatever it is that their strength is. I mean, obviously, these have to be set up ahead of time. You can't just go and start doing somebody's job. But I like the smaller sets where people feel like they have more input. They have more. They learn more. They're doing more than just being compartmentalized. So my goal coming fall is to do a really small shoot and I'm excited about it because I intend to shoot it and direct it. I'm going to have an assistant camera and maybe obviously someone for sound and hair and makeup. But beyond that, I don't want a ton of people on set. I don't want the distraction of it. I want the actors to feel like they can do what they need to do without a ton of people around. Right. I want a very intimate, quiet, relaxed pace. You can't get that with a ton of people. Is there anything you can uh, hint at as far as what the, the nature of that no. production might be? No. <laughs> <laughs> so outer space, lasers, small cats. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we'll have none of those things, but, but, but it doesn't mean there's not some value there. So goal is to, to basically uh, have autonomous, full control over sets and, and productions Knowing that you enjoy smaller versus larger. No, to, to go back to my roots of working smaller sets. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The goal is no longer to go after the big, crazy ones. I mean, sure, I love the big, crazy, expensive jobs. Everybody does. But I don't desire to be on large sets anymore. I just got offers to work several different positions. A, you know, AC, assistant direct, or assistant produce, assistant direct, a couple others. And I didn't want any of them. Because they were very, very compartmentalized. And um, these are long days. They're 12-hour days a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, that's sometimes what I consider a short day. Because I've worked on uh, jobs where we're 16-hour days. And it's ridiculous. It's just not fun. Uh, and it's not all about the fun. But at the same point, there's only so much I'm going to sell my soul for a dollar. Right. How? At what point is it no longer really worth it? Well, you, you've become somewhat of a digital nomad. Uh, affordance. And, and non-digital. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you're literally riding around the country in a tra- you know, in a, in, a, in a really nice van, and the the freedom to do that certainly, yeah. if you're regularly doing twelve hour days on site somewhere for somebody else, that was part of the challenge. Is that if I commit to a three or four week job working twelve to fourteen hours a day, how much time am I going to be able to have for that? What I need, yeah, I need more. I need more for me. I don't necessarily need it for production. I used to. I could do that all the time and not burn out. Now I'd probably burn out. I've done that. I don't need to keep doing it. 
Well, now that you're in your 30s, you know, you, you... <clears throat> that is very generous. <laughs> Let, let's well, let me readjust. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, as far as things you've done in the past, I mean, have you always been doing something behind a lens? Is it oh, behind a lens or in front of a screen? Yeah. Um, not always, of course. Uh, but wow, maybe always. I just I started thinking about I'm like, well, you know, I think I started probably within about five to eight years of moving to Tennessee. And that was 33 years ago, maybe. And that's when I kind of made the change and started moving away from the 3D animation motion graphics, which I still do. I still go back and do that stuff. I enjoy it. But then I really had to think about it. And I do recall being seven years old with a video camera <laughs> running around the neighborhood filming everything I could. Found okay. our friend's uh, parents' Hi8 video camera. And literally, that's all I wanted to do all summer long. I just made movies. So it was kind of ironic that I could kind of fall back into what I did as a child and right. really loved and thought I'm going to make movies. So I did kind of start at that when I was seven, but obviously I lost my way for a long time, went into engineering. Engineering? Yeah, mechanical design engineering. That was my background. That's how I got into 3D animation and okay, because it kind of tied into all the mechanical stuff we were doing. Yeah, I've, I've changed careers multiple times. I didn't recall you doing some, some 3D animation around industry. And that was kind of like a, a pillar for you for a while. Yeah, I still okay. do. I still focus and specialize in mechanical-based um, 3D animation. So I love anything man-made mechanical. Like if you ask me to create character animation, I'm going to probably freeze up and seize because I, I can't. It's, but but give you free. a complex sump pump with uh, oh, you know, God. moving parts, you can knock that out. Uh, you're talking my love language. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is which is a real weird thing to have that mechanical, very analytical mindset and then move into production, which is you would think more creative, more artistic. But no, all the equipment is very mechanical, very well, it's, technical. It, it is in a way because you're dealing with, with soft skills. You're dealing with people, yeah. uh, negotiation and, and compassion and, like you say, humility. Yeah. So none of those things are, are necessarily the the wheelhouse of the mechanical engineer no no absolute opposite which is how i fell out of mechanical uh as far as being in an engineering firm i was, just was dealing too much with that one aspect and i required the other i needed that people i needed that other outlet i needed the true creative outlet that film and video allowed me to kind of really expand and, that, and that's the kind of pivot that, that i'm really interested in is when, when people have that realization through someone pointing it out or through their own experience, just kind of dawning on them that, oh, yeah, this it, what I'm doing now isn't perfect for me because it's missing X, right? Yeah. And that's that's typically when you either carry on, trudge, 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 you know, through your, through your career and then retire and die. <laughs> yeah. Or you pivot and, and you do something else or you add additional layers to what you're doing so that you are satisfying those, those needs. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't do that. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate that people get into an industry and they got into it with a purpose and a passion and it became a grudge, a drudgery, whatever, to do that industry anymore after a while. But they didn't change. They didn't adapt it. They didn't modify it. They could. They don't even know it. Right. You can always modify it. I don't care if you're a doctor and you're going into the same office every day and you hate it. You can change that industry for you. Just as a silly example, if you're if, if you're that physician, doctors without borders, yeah. go travel, yeah. go change your clientele, change your life. But you can still be a doctor. You can still be a doctor, but, right? You know, change all the factors. You can change the office. Yeah, it might not be an easy one, but 
I mean, people think production and that my industry is easy or that it's exciting. And no, it's not always easy. And no, it's not always exciting. It is from the outside, but it, it requires a constant change and a constant adjustment to what we do to continue enjoying it, basically. And some don't. We've worked with people with direct TV and we're humored because, you know, we go out on all these big shoots and we have our badges and all that stuff. Well, I'm a dork. I save my badges. I love those things. I think they're awesome. It's just, it's a history of where I've been, all the ball games we filmed, the hockey games, all the, all the different. It's just like a journal entry, right? If, yeah, it's if, like When you hold this entry. thing in your mind, you're there. I collect them. But when we were filming, uh, Chris and I were filming at um, one of the big ballparks uh, for the Astros when they won the pennant, and we were with DirecTV, and these guys, um, at the end of the day, took off their badges and like dropped them in the trash, and we were like folding ours up and putting them in our bag, and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, we save them. Why? It's it's a history of where we've been. It's a it's an accolade to us. It's a it's a badge of honor. It's something we do. It's stupid. It's totally ridiculous. But it's a, it's a fun point of pride. But it was a fun point of pride. And they just could not understand it. But they do it day in, day out, the same thing. They do the same job day in, day out. To them, that would just be ludicrous. But I have some of the coolest badges. <laughs> and I love them. I mean, there are... Dang, I got a wall of them. I think novelty is... is really important to you. It's definitely important to me. Yeah. And so doing the same thing was what led me to actually move away from design initially yes. because I was a visual designer with with a little bit of interaction design thrown in. But doing that again and again and again, year after year after year, I burned out. Yes. And it wasn't until I had gone through uh, some development roles and some management roles and some business roles that I came back to design. And yeah. design itself, of course, had, had matured and become more, more complex over time. Uh, yeah. But... I was a different person at that point. So I had an appreciation for more aspects of design that I was able to then bring to bear and really enjoy those roles once more. And that's good. I'm glad. Because actually when I met you and we worked together, you were seeing me going through a major burnout. Because, I mean, it was a multitude of different things, as we've already discussed. Yeah. It was a point of me burning out on the industry because the hours weren't what I wanted to work. The schedule wasn't what I wanted to work. We were doing work for Cornwell, Patricia Cornwell, and she would just call at the drop of a hat and say, we need you in New York tomorrow morning. Your whole life is disrupted. Mm-hmm. You've now got to go home and spend the whole night packing, loading cameras, loading gear, and trying to be at the airport at 6 o'clock in the morning for right. a trip. And you never stopped moving. As glamorous and as high profile as that sounds, that was miserable Yeah. after the first week. <laughs> and we did it That doesn't allow work-life balance. No. no. We did that for three years. So you were seeing a really difficult time for me. And that was after that, I said, I'm not doing that anymore. People ask, you miss it? No, I missed the money and the high profile of it. That was really crazy money. She never gave us a budget. She said, just do it. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've had another client like that. So just do it. Don't the, I'll pay the, for it, whatever there, it is. There, I, I distinctly recall uh, a vehicle upgrade for just about everyone at Digital Media One. Yeah, during that period of time, I, I bought my RX eight at that time. Mark <laughs> bought three or four cars. <laughs> we all went through different vehicles. Yeah, we all got new cars. No, mostly we all got a lot of new gear. Yeah, got a lot of a lot of new cameras. And um, funny story, do you recall that we had just gotten one of our new JVCs and really nice, brand new, hot JVC that came out, and uh, we were super excited because it was all digital lying in and everything and she calls us and says hey my niece needs a camera what are you shooting with right now and i'm like well we just got our jvc in i don't remember how much it was it was really expensive she said i want you to box it up and send it to my niece who was 13 14? <laughs> i don't know how old she was so here i've got to give up this brand new camera we just got in i've been drooling over forever and i got to send it to her niece right 
That was not enjoyable. <laughs> not enjoyable. This niece is not going to appreciate the Ferrari. <laughs> yeah. So I, I want to ask about how you get all this stuff done. Because I, I know you've got, of course, all this stuff with, with the production industry, with 3D, with training. Uh, and you've also got some real estate uh, mm-hmm. ventures as well. Yeah. So how the hell do you get all this stuff done? you got a very busy life. Are there any tips, tricks, rituals, habits, or practices that you feel have influenced your success in work? Oh, God, no. Putting them all in perspective and balancing them. Um, if I was uh, 100%, like we'll say, if 89 to 95% of my life evolved around video production and I was constantly out pushing, selling, uh, which I don't really push and sell much. We let a lot of the work come to us by word of mouth. If I was doing that, I would not be able to run the real estate. I would not be able to pick up any side projects um, I wouldn't be able to do animation. I would just be able to do that and nothing else. I would, again, be killing myself for nothing. For what? It's it's not that satisfying. It's not that enjoyable if you're killing yourself to do it. Well, I, I'm not saying that you, you're spending all your time doing production. What I'm saying is, are there things that you do in life? Well, I that... guess that's what leads me back to okay. I balance all those. Okay. I try not to put too much emphasis into just I'm a producer, production person, camera operator. I don't do that. Um, I try to keep all of those a little bit in check, but yes, sometimes it gets very hectic. There have been times when I've got to leave to go on a trip to film that's been planned for months. The (laughs) condo's toilets are overflowing and I've got to go do it. And a lot of times if plumber's not available, guess who's over there plunging the toilets? Guess who's over replacing sinks and reworking the air conditioning units? That's me. And if you had been running low on humility... Then I needed a little bit of that toilet you know, time, I yeah. think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I have no fear. And I mean, we've, we've had renters, you know, accidentally knock holes in walls, big holes. And I've had gone over and cut sheetrock and I'll hire somebody if I can get them, if they're available. But I know how to do the work. Right. I'm not afraid of much of anything. And that's sometimes a dangerous thing for me. I'll get myself into some pretty bad situations, but I'll go do sheetrock. And I do a damn good job. I'm super, I treat it the same way I do camera work. I'm super fastidious, so mm-hmm. i got to get it done right. I balance all those very carefully and sometimes not so well. You'll have to ask my wife about that, how well I balance them sometimes. Well, that kind of leads into the next question, which is around hobbies. And I think, unfortunately for you, I suspect hobbies is a gray area, right? Because anything you do could probably have a dotted line to something that you do professionally. Um, everything I do professionally is a hobby of mine. <laughs> everything. I don't shoot because I need the money, um, so to speak. Granted, I like them. I shoot because I like doing it. I do the animation because every so often I got to get my hands back into that mechanical mindset of building something and animating. Um, even when it comes to fixing a sink, I actually, in a sick sort of way, well, it's the tactile enjoy nature that. Of that. Tact- yeah. yeah, and it's the the problem solving. Yeah. that as well right you're, you're yeah. examining an environment looking for clues yeah. solving the problem and then and then implementing the fix it's proving yourself you can do it yeah so once you do that enough you start to realize i can do it it doesn't mean you're not going to run into some pretty hellacious challenges but you do eventually realize i can do this you'll you've seen probably over the last few years i take on a lot of weird projects just for fun sewing my cushions in an rv redoing all our upholstery what i don't i've never sewn before i'm like i don't care furniture sewing machine furniture building a lot of my own furniture yeah not afraid of much honestly um that's what gets me in trouble (laughs) (laughs) well we're just about out of time so i want to zoom out a little bit and ask a few questions before i turn it over to you um 
If you could go back, what major decision would you change? <laughs> As one of my guests said, I'd change nothing, right? right. Um, maybe that's a role you wouldn't have taken or, or would have or, or leaving or going back to school? None. None? Yeah. No, there's absolutely nothing. Through all the good and bad, there's nothing I wouldn't do again. There's no, I mean, there are things I've done that I've regretted doing, but I no longer regret those things, knowing that it just, it teaches you something, you know, at the very so, least. So you might regret it initially, but in hindsight, you don't in regret hindsight, it. In hindsight, yeah, you shouldn't. You should, really shouldn't. I mean, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, you're going to go into fields you don't want to go into. You can change and fix anything to a degree. Obviously, can't fix everything, but you can move on. For a long time, I regretted taking a, a role at Scripps Networks in the advertising operations group because it was my, that was my first step out of design, right? Yeah. And it was into a, a sort of a business uh, and leadership position there. Uh, but I realized after the fact, after I had left the role, that I learned so much yeah. about the monetization of an enterprise entity, how all the moving parts in digital creation, in ad sales, in the, on the technical side, in, in the ad implementation, et cetera, all these things had to work in concert and do so way ahead of the fact in order for this money machine to work, right? And now that I have that understanding, I look at design challenges and technical challenges entirely differently because I always think, okay, well, how is this actually making money and, and where is the money-making process and, you know, who has their hands on the reins, etc. Love it or hate it, you benefited from that experience. Yes. I had one from that same company, by the way. I wanted in there for five years, seven years, finally. I got in, was there about two weeks doing contract work, and they said, would you be interested in staying? Would, would you keep this job? I was like, no. <laughs> no, I, I had to be there to learn I didn't want to be there as yeah. much as I thought I did. But I needed to experience that myself. No one could have taught me that after being there for a while and realizing this isn't what I want. But it was a really good experience overall because it allowed me to – it was freeing. I was able to now – not try to get into some big business just because of the name or who they were, thinking it was going to be great. Well, you killed a regret. I killed a regret, yeah. Because you, know, you would always regret not having done that. Yeah. It'd always be kind of sitting on your shoulder going, man, well, what would that have been like? Yeah. And I love telling people now that say, this is what I want. Really evaluate what you want. Because sometimes what you want is nothing near what you think you Not even close. Different ballgame. And that's another argument for making a change, yeah. making a pivot. You know, if, if you're frustrated, if you're exhausted, you're not having fun in life, then yeah. make some changes because maybe some of those changes will inform whether or not you're uh, moving in the right direction or not. True. But yeah, I don't have a lot of regrets that way. Okay. What's next for you? Oh, wow. Hopefully just more of the same. Finally, to the point where I, I don't know if I can take on any more new, I mean, I can, obviously we all are capable. I don't know if I want to take on more. I already do enough. It keeps me satisfied, keeps me fed, keeps me clothed, basically, and keeps me mentally challenged. This last year, we started a couple documentaries, and those have been fun. I, I, I should always be looking to see what I'm going to do next or what excites me. I don't know. I might go back to flipping houses or something. Who knows? Hmm. I have no clue. <laughs> I'm, I'm letting the universe throw it at and me that, as it that's comes. That's a fun place to be when, you're, when your eyes are open. Yeah. You know, because you, you know something's going to come along. No, something will. And I may love it, I may regret it. Who knows? Okay, before we sign off, tell us how we can find out more about you, where we can find you online, and if there's anything you want to share with our listeners, whether that's Dan's words of wisdom or uh, maybe some causes that you you really align with and want to draw some attention to. Well, of course, you can always find me um, at danielpatton.com, D-A-N-I-E-L, 
P-A-T-T-O-N.com. And our production um, sites are all the same, basically. Uh, it's Daniel Patton Productions on Instagram, Daniel Patton Productions on Facebook. Um, if you send me personal Facebook shares I, or requests, I probably will ignore them because that's my personal stuff is reserved for friends, family, people sure. I work with. But you can always uh, reach out to me through the through the work sites and whatever. I try to I do try to separate those a little bit just so family doesn't get inundated by production people. Sure. Yeah, definitely reach out to me there. And of course, my phone is always on. If you have a question or need some advice or you want to go shoot something, call me. Uh, the number's on the website. Well, thank you so much, Dan. Uh, I hope you have enjoyed this as much as I have. It's been, we're far overdue for a catch up. So <laughs> it's been a while. This is good. This is very good. Thanks for having me, Rich. And I hope this episode finds somebody else out there uh, at just the right time in their life. Uh, hopefully, this, this discussion might trigger some things for you and, and get you moving in the right direction. Uh, we're a new podcast, so every bit of exposure helps us grow to reach more people. So if you have enjoyed this, uh, this kind of chatter, uh, then please give us a, a review and a rating on the platform of choice and uh, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, stay focused on your why. Why?